All righty, here we are. Man, great to see y'all. Thank you for being here. What a joy to get to at a park in a hotel. Uh, we'll see what the Lord has next for us. It's a bit for a while or something else, but praise God that we gather together around the word, around his fellow oh, brothers. And then, I, you know, just like a little water bottle. Oh, it's right there, uh, uh, all the time. Here we are. Um, yeah, so here we are. We're gonna praise God. So we're here to the sing praises to his name. And that, uh, the Lord's provided this spot, he provided the park. Again, I wouldn't have done anything different. The park was kind of perfect for that season. Um, the park would have been perfect today, actually. Uh, but the park gets less perfect as the winter goes on. Um, and here we are. So, uh, let's see what the Lord has for us during this season and this time together. Uh, so, um, excited just to continue on and uh, we've kind of done a couple of different things with uh, in the last couple weeks series-wise and so we're really continuing to focus on Advent as we started last week uh, but we're going to jump back into Nehemiah uh, as we do that and so you can turn to it's in your liturgy guide or you can turn to Nehemiah 7 that's where we'll be we'll actually be in Matthew 6 a little bit as well uh, if you want to flip there as well, if you're a person that likes to look in your actual Bible, just giving you a heads up there. Uh, but as we think about Advent, you know, we're at, you know, um, gathering together as a church, so most of you know that this Christmas season is actually about Jesus um, and celebrating his birth. Uh, but even in the, the cultural way of this season, I, I just love almost everything about this season. I love celebrating Christmas. I love it as a culture. I love how our, I love how we can walk through, I don't walk through them all. I don't know how to use that as an example. We places and stores and hear songs about Jesus that we wouldn't typically hear uh, songs about Jesus at. And so uh, that's encouraging. And um, I love getting gifts. I love giving gifts. I love just so much about this season. I love Christmas movies. I even love to watch and consider how anti- Christian and how anti-Jesus so many Christmas movies are. Um, but even in that, I watch them with my kids and we talk about that. Um, and uh, we love watching Christmas movies together. We've done a lot of that over the last couple weeks. Uh, love Christmas parties. I love so many of the, uh, like the Advent traditions that uh, my family has kind of participated in uh, for the last many years and how the Lord kind of uses uh, that time. But even in churches, and even in many of our lives, as we think about Christmas, Jesus can often take a back seat, sometimes even specifically to Santa Claus, and I'm not trying to debate whether you should do that or not, but I remember even a couple years ago, my kids did this regular thing at this other church, and they went into the kids' area one time, and that literally every part of the kids' area was full of all kinds of Santa Claus things, but there was nothing, no nativity and nothing about Jesus uh, to be found. And so just the reality that even in uh, the church, Jesus can take somewhat of a back seat uh, during this season. And it's easy for us to get even lost in the nostalgia of the season, which again, I think is a really beautiful, good thing just to embrace, but not at the expense of missing Jesus. And so it really, if we have anything to say during this season, it's that the joy of salvation has come to mankind. That, that, that it's the beauty of a God who draws near to his people and Jesus. And even if we want our kids to get caught up in something this Christmas, I hope and pray that they would be caught up in the reality that God saves sinners. That, that is the message of Christmas. That is the message of Advent. It's the message of uh, the gospel. And so we know this uh, time of year as Advent, which 
Advent just simply means the arrival of someone important. Maybe you're from a tradition that's celebrated that. Maybe you're from a church that's taken part in these kinds of seasons, or maybe you're not. Uh, But Advent for Christians is the time where we look back to God answering years of hopeful anticipation and Jesus and look to, and then we look to the second Advent when Jesus comes back. So it has a double meaning for us. We're not just celebrating the birth of Jesus. We're also looking to when he will come and return again. And Christians have been observing Advent for since like the fourth century. It's taken different shape and looked a little differently. I think even in the last later years, it's actually maybe come back a bit celebrating Advent, especially in our circle of churches. And I think part of that is, again, the church just trying to return to make this season about Jesus. And I don't mean like make this season about Jesus and like the cultural war of put Christ back in Christmas or to be honest with you, I don't have a problem with people that are not Christians saying to me, happy holidays. To be honest with you, I have somewhat more of a problem with people trying to put Christ back in Christmas in an unchristian kind of way and representing me as a Christian in ways that I would not want to be represented. By Advent, and and I mean focusing on Jesus, I mean the church, the the church of Jesus Christ, those that love him and are following him, considering who he is uh, in the midst of this season. Uh, And so just to clarify, we are not going to end up going through Ruth because taking a couple weeks off to preach about different things uh, after my uh, brother's funeral. We didn't have time for that. And so we're actually just going to use the end of Nehemiah uh, to look to the advent of our Lord Jesus. And to be honest with you, the more I've focused on that, and the more I've realized we're going to do that, the more excited I am about it. I can't remember if I've told you this a lot, but the end of Nehemiah is actually the end of the Old Testament. The end of Nehemiah is the end of the Old Testament story. Like if you think of it, your Bible, sometimes we think about it a little wrongly, but if This is like the end of Nehemiah, and then we have this much of our Old Testament left. But if you read from Genesis through Esther, you've you've read the story of Israel, of of God's people in the Bible. And then the rest is the, you know, Proverbs, Psalms, the prophets, Isaiah, the minor prophets, all of that. And those are written about what's gone on in the midst of this time in in one way or another. So it's really just incredibly fitting that we would finish uh, and, and use Nehemiah for Advent as it's the last word spoken before the 400 years of silence uh, before the light of Jesus' birth breaks into the scene. And so, so the last words in Nehemiah really are the last words uh, that we see written in, in anticipating uh, God bringing back his Messiah before uh, those many years of silence and Jesus comes into the picture. And so I want to read a, a, this, this perfect quote uh, stumbled upon by uh, another pastor that really kind of bridges the gap between the, the pages of Nehemiah and, and this season of Advent. And he, he says this. He says, there's something in observing Advent that awakens not only joyful remembrance over Christ's first coming, but also deep eagerness for his second coming. In many ways, the church in this age is in a similar position to God's people toward the end of the Old Testament, marginalized in exile. He's talking about the people in uh, Nehemiah, hoping in darkness, waiting in the stillness, waiting in stillness for the day when Christ returns to, in Tolkien's words, make every sad thing untrue. I just want to read that part. He's equating us, the, the church of this age, with the people that we're reading about in Nehemiah that we're both all together, marginalized and in exile, we're hoping in darkness, 
or waiting in stillness for the day when Christ returns to make every sad thing come untrue. And so as we wait for Jesus to return, like we're all waiting for that, we should be desiring that and waiting for that. And as we're waiting for that, it's just so obvious that so much of our lives are just full of waiting. That, that in that long, that large, that incredible waiting, we have a, a ton of just waitings that happen in the midst of life. Um, it seems as though we're almost always waiting on something. Like even when we're waiting on something and that's fulfilled, we're waiting on a whole nother different thing. I think, we're, I think for even kids, we're waiting to grow up and get older. Like, and if you're a younger sibling, that can be really hard. I was the youngest of three, and I just always wanted to be older. Is there, who's the youngest sibling in here? Now, keep your hand up. Well, like, every, like we didn't have one kid. There's one kid. Um, and then if you wanted, well, you don't have to be the youngest. You just have to be younger, Jonah. You're good. You count. Um, there we go. Now, keep your hand up if you actually struggled. I don't know how to ask this question. You struggled to want to get older. You're waiting. You're waiting on getting older. I'm giving up and moving along. Um, We're waiting to learn to drive. We're waiting to graduate. We're waiting to get our first job. We're waiting for a better job. We're waiting for discontentment to pass. We're waiting to get married. We're waiting to get pregnant. We're waiting to get back in shape. Waiting to feel physically better maybe after a long season of feeling unhealthy, waiting to feel emotionally stable, waiting for our kids to grow up, waiting for our kids to visit us after they have grown up, waiting for Jesus to finish what he has started in us. And the list goes on and on and on that we are almost always in some kind of season of waiting. And sometimes, obviously, they're more prevalent than others. And as we come to the end of the Old Testament story, we find a people waiting, or simply waiting. Let's consider even uh, the waiting that's present in their lives. They were waiting to come back from exile and rebuild the temple under Zerubbabel, and they did that. Yet, it wasn't all they hoped for. There was loss even in the victory of rebuilding the temple. And then Ezra comes and restores the word of God and the purity of God's people to its proper place. But then, uh, as glorious as that was, it was still lacking in its fullness. They still Sin. They still rebelled and they still struggled to keep the very covenant that they agreed to. And then Nehemiah comes on the scene and he leads these returning exiles to rebuild the walls and uh, he gets them to rebuild it in a miraculous 52 days while facing just incredible challenges and opposition. But we'll see actually in the chapters to come that even the walls are defiled and weren't all that they were meant to be. And so we see throughout this story, as we have seen, as we will see, that there's just ups and downs of success and failure, desires met, disappointments and longings unfulfilled. But yet in these last seven chapters, we're going to see four things at least that these exiles do in the midst of all of this to draw near to God. And these four things stand as anchors for us to turn to and practice even uh, in our day. Here they are. We see them give towards God's mission. Secondly, we see them hear God's word read and preached. We see them gather together uh, to do that. And that's why it's so important for us to to gather together again, whether it's in a park, whether it's in a hotel, wherever the Lord provide, we will long for and desire and seek to gather together uh, as God's people. And that's why my heart breaks for those 
uh, that have had to, for many different reasons, uh, continue to stay isolated since March even. And uh, brothers and sisters, my heart just hurts for you. And that's why you are the reason I pray for all of this to end so soon that you might gather back together uh, with God's people. But that's something we will strive for and something we see them turn to. And then third, we see them celebrate God's provision with God's people. And then lastly, fourth thing we see them do is repenting of sin and pursuing holiness. And so in our longing, wherever we're at, in our waiting, these can be anchors for our faith, pursuing and and engaging and practicing uh, these things. And so today we're going to talk about giving to God's mission. And so I, I realize that there's some of you that actually enjoy talking about this subject. You look forward to talking about uh, what it looks like to manage your finances or steward money or give money in regards to in light of who God is and what he's done for you. There are many of you that are like that. I realize there's also some of you that uh, maybe either you're new Christians or perhaps for some reason you just have some baggage in regards to money and the church. And then lastly, I think there's many people out there and many people probably in here or watching that are simply just put off and offended um, that you think the church is all about money. And so I just want to say this is not about you giving money to some guy on a stage. If that's you, I think my wife's got some cash in her wallet and it's yours. We'll give it to whatever you got going on. Um, and uh, this isn't about us getting money from you. And I, I just, if that is you, you, like you have baggage and I feel offended about talking about money at church, I would just encourage you not to use the fact that I'm going to talk about money as a means to reject the gospel. I would pray that you and all of us would see that Jesus is far better than money. Uh, and no one is getting rich off you here. Uh, let, me, let me just tell you my money story real quick as we talk about money. I think it's helpful to, to have some of this context. So I, I grew up in a house that was just horrible with money, probably like many of you. I had it a bit better than my older uh, brothers, but basically we lived in a house like anytime money would come in, it would just go out. It was kind of like groceries. Like anytime in my house, so it was three boys and we got groceries and then we devoured those groceries in like two, three days. And then we spent a good week and a half just like crackers and hot sauce and just trying to scrape by until we get groceries again. And so that's kind of how money was. It would come in, but as soon as it would go in, it came in. We were impulsive. Uh, and as I grew up, I, to be honest with you, just adopted many of those same habits. When I was 18, I got my first two credit cards. Uh, of course, it was just to establish good credit. And I was going to pay them off at the end of the month. Um, so that was the reasoning. But when you, uh, you know, add good intentions with a, with a sinful heart, it, it, it goes bad. And, and it did. Uh, I think I was like 20, by the time I was 20, I was about 30 grand in debt. And like, all of it was bad debt. Like there's nothing encouraging about any of my debt. Um, no school loans, just bad, horrible interest rates through the roof, all that kind of stuff. It was great. Um, and uh, so But what's funny is even during that season, and maybe you're like this, or maybe you know people like this, during that season, and Lord willing, my family's gotten a little wiser as maybe God's grown me throughout the years too, and maybe we have something to say now. But during that season, I would have given you financial advice. I'd have been like, yeah, I think I handle money pretty well. I think I know, I think I could help you out. Um, Like all of us, we, we, we were horrible at handling money, but it's so funny how much we all think we're great financial planners. Uh, Like we would have been like, yeah, I'm a pretty good financial advisor. I think I could do that. I'm 30 grand in debt and really don't know what I'm going to do about it, but let's talk about it. Um, and uh, fortunately, uh, I have an aunt and uncle who invited me to live with them uh, and, you know, kind of rent free and help me 
help me out and get on my feet a bit. I, I did actually around that time kind of came in, in, in contact with Dave Ramsey's teaching um, and that was help. It just met me at the right spot in that in that moment. And then fast forward to today, and me and my, my wife, we you know when we were married, we we didn't have any debt besides our house. And uh, you know God's grown us in the realm of personal finances. Um, and obviously, we still have long, a long way to go and, and much to learn. Uh, but I, I share some of that story. There's a couple of things. I don't like. I'm just really easy to talk about finances, so it actually wouldn't really bother me to talk about specifics. I just think it'd be distracting for you. Um, but I share that story, not just to talk about my story, as much as just tell you, I relate to the dysfunction of really struggling with how to handle money, but then also some of the benefit of the wisdom that can come with handling uh, our money well. Um, but along with all of those things, like even if we learn to handle our money, one of the things I want to be clear about is that we can follow all of Dave Ramsey's baby steps. We can go through Crown Financial perfectly, or maybe we can just even be naturally really wise with money. That was like my wife. When I, I, I was like that annoying Dave Ramsey guy. If you met him, that was me for a season. You can thank God that I'm through that. Ginger, thanks God that I'm through that. Um, but she was like Dave Ramsey, and she didn't even know who she wa he was. She was just naturally good with money. And you can be all of those things and still struggle mightily with materialism still struggle mightily with sinning in the area of finances. Like those things, like what, what uh, you know, the answer to the materialism in our life is not a money management system. Uh, it is everything that Jesus has done for us. And those are the things and who he is and what he has done is what's gonna heal and redeem and work and sanctify as we learn to grow in wisdom and uh, how we handle our money. But there's no money system that's sufficient to answer the darkness of our own hearts, especially in how we, deal with money. And we'll see this later on, but I just want to say this. Money issues are a window into our soul. It was into mine. It still is into mine. Um, we're going to see that money issues are a sign of a bigger problem. If we have a little money issue, we can answer that probably with just a little bit of money or some kind of better system. But when our money issues are bigger and indicative of a much bigger problem, we need a much bigger answer. And so let's look in Nehemiah chapter 7. We're just going to read a couple verses out of that. Nehemiah 7, starting in verse 70. If you will stand in honor of reading God's word, if you are able. And then we've been doing this liturgy where I read and then I say, this is the word of the Lord, and you say, thanks be to God. Let's try to say thanks be to God with a little conviction this time. It's felt not, I'm not, not criticizing you, except I kind of am. It's felt a little lacking, and I just want to thanks be to God. This is his word to us. It's a gift. And so I'll join in with you. We'll read this, and this is just a liturgy we do every week to remind us that God's word is set apart from everything else. And so uh, Nehemiah 7, uh, starting in verse 70 through 72. Now some of the heads of the father's houses gave to the work. The governor gave to the treasury a thousand derricks of gold, 50 basins, 30 priest garments, and 50 minas of silver. And some of the heads of the father's houses gave into the treasury of the work 20,000 derricks of gold and 2,200 minas of silver. And what the rest of the people gave was 20,000 derricks of gold, 2,000 minas of silver, and 67 priest garments. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. That was good. You can be seated. 
And so we'll see from uh, this and really uh, a bit of uh, the other scriptures, we'll see a few things from this. Uh, we'll see simply that we should give generously, that we should give according to our ability, and that our money shows what we believe. So first, we should give generously. If you just look at what they gave here, it's a little mind-numbing how much and how generous they were. Uh, but a derrick uh, was basically a, a month's pay for a mercenary foot soldier. So uh, run-of-the-mill, decent job, a month's pay is, is what a derrick was. And so you see total here, just in this little part, and, and we know throughout, like I just picked out one section, but giving to God's mission and what was going on is just a major theme throughout Ezra and Nehemiah. Like it's all throughout. If you read the story, they're just, again, and everybody's giving. Kings are giving, God's people are giving, just giving is, everybody's giving. And, and this is just one little example of some uh, of that giving. And so if you think about total here, we're just going to stick to the derricks, not even all the other stuff, which is another significant past, uh, part of all of this. A derrick was just a gold coin. It's about eight and a half grams. Um, and uh, there's still derricks around there today. You can go buy one for as little as $2,000, as much as $20,000 if you're interested in that. Uh, but so the 41,000 derricks here uh, equal 3,416 years of a mercenary's salary. That's a lot. Um, and so if you just, this, this total here, just the average yearly income, if let's just say we compare a mercenary soldier to about 45 grand a year, uh, our time, then it's about $153 million. Don't check my math. It's fine. Don't worry about it. I did it a couple of times. We're good. Um, and, uh, but it's just, it's just an, obviously a significant amount of money. And we're talking about a significant amount of people. This is a significant amount of people giving, but they're, they're giving uh, incredibly generously. Um, and we see them give generously again and again and again. Anytime there's a call to give, they answer that call with their generosity. And one of the things that generosity does is it is the best destroyer of our idol of materialism. Like generosity just, just uh, pummels that idol again and again as much as we're able to enact generosity in the midst uh, of our life. And it just talks about like, like the difference in uh, just the attitude of generosity is basically saying, I'm going to give all I can. And so much of my own attitude is just can so often be, I'm going to get what's mine. And that's just a materialistic, I need to get what is mine kind of attitude. And there's, I, I see that kind of attitude, to be honest with you, creep up in so many different areas of my life. Is that like over there, I guess? That's okay. It's good. I, I love it. It sounds great. They're, they're good. It's, I just wanted to make sure. I was like, is that coming through here? Uh, we're just getting used to this thing. Um, and so, and I am so distractible. So I'm really going to have to get used to this thing. Um, but there's a cosmic gap between I'm going to get what's mine and I'm going to give all of all I can. I, on a video recently, I, I read Proverbs 21, 25 through 26 that says, the desire of the sluggard kills him for his hands refuse to labor. But the same sluggard who's refusing to labor, he all day long, he craves and he craves. He has an unsatiable desire to get. Like I am going to get what's mine feeling entitled, but the righteous gives and does not hold back. That's just the, the heart of generosity, that this giving without holding back. I love what, uh, there's a really good book, if you haven't read it, called Money, God or Gift by Jamie Munson. I've, I've read it a couple times, and uh, it, it says this. 
he's quoting somebody else, but it's from his book. New Testament scholar Craig Bloomberg calls stewardship of material possessions the most important taste ca test case of one's profession of discipleship and names materialism as the single biggest competitor with authentic Christianity for the hearts and souls of millions in our world today. As a pastor, I want to see our church and all churches filled with people devoted to Jesus, not money. And I'm just going to be honest, materialism is maybe not a struggle for all of us. We, some of us maybe miss that boat. We have some other struggle. But materialism is a struggle for most of us. Um, and it creeps in in so many different ways. And so it does us well to, to consider what generosity looks like uh, in the face of materialism. And so uh, generosity is one of those things that fights against that. And then, but also, we, we, to be honest with you, we just keep going this uh, way. We can think, man, I just need to continue to give more. I need to give more than I'm giving right now. I need to always be giving more. And to be honest with you, sometimes even in, in churches that aren't health and wealth prosperity churches, I feel like that can be kind of the implied Thing. And, and I just don't think that's actually true. I think as this passage is saying, this passage says it again in Ezra 2, that we should actually give uh, according to our ability. That, that money is just one of those things that if it shows finiteness, I mean, like literally, we all have a certain amount of money. Uh, we, we, there's, there's no way to go around it. We just have that much. That's how much uh, we have. And so we can only steward the amount we have. And I think the Bible's clear that we should, our giving, our generosity is according to, to our uh, ability. Um, to be honest with you, there are times maybe you shouldn't give more. And that's a very real reality for many of us and for many of you and for different seasons that we're in. Uh, the Bible doesn't say, even in this moment, no one's giving enough. Everyone should give more and more and always give more. Um, and, and let me be honest, I'm not saying God doesn't call us to give more at times and take risk of faith and be incredibly generous, even when it doesn't make sense on paper. I think God does do that, but he's not always doing that. He's obviously not always doing that. Um, and uh, yeah, that might be where he's leading, but, but we can get this weird legalism around giving if we're not uh, really careful. So the Bible says that we should give according to our ability. Some gave more in this scene uh, because they had more ability to give. Some gave less because they had less ability to give. And this happens in different seasons. I actually, I can't remember if I shared this, so forgive me if I'm repeating myself, but I stumbled onto a giving statement that me, of mine and Ginger's when we were like newly married, we both worked, we had no kids. And I was kind of blown away. I was like, oh my goodness, we were able to really give some money. Uh, like we were, it was just one of those seasons. I remember even uh, there was this season where we had just re refinanced our house. And so we we're making budget lines. And just in this one season, like giving was one of the, our highest budget lines. And that was just the season we're in. And now we've just got all kinds of kids that need to eat and stuff like that. And so, you know, it's it, the, the there's other budget lines that have kind of caught up to that one, but we were able to give a significant amount in a season, and we weren't able to give as much in other seasons, and we just go through seasons like that. Um, maybe you've gone through that. Listen to Paul in, in, in 2 Corinthians eight twelve, talking about giving. He says, for if the readiness is there, you're, you're willing and ready to give, it is acceptable according to what a person has, not according to what he does not have. So he's saying we should give according to what we have. Um, and so at this point, you might just have some, some questions. And, and to be honest with you, they might even bring up, there, if, if you're not giving at all, here are some just common reasons I think people do not give, especially to a church in particular. One is just for whatever reason, you don't believe you need to. 
Uh, I, I don't think there's a whole lot of people that need to be convinced that giving towards God's mission is a good thing and something that the Bible exhorts people to, but, but you may be there. You may just don't feel like you need to, um, and so you just don't give. Um, definitely, as I mentioned earlier, non-Christians just surely have plenty of reasons to distrust the church as they look at pastors that are there just to exploit people and live a life of luxury. There's this one dude. He, uh, he's actually somewhat local, um, or he used to be. Uh, I haven't watch TV in a long time, but, uh, or at least the kind where just random shows come on, you know, I go to Netflix and stuff, but, uh, the, uh, you know, um, and he, he would just make me angry. He was like, you know, there's some people that are, you know, you're like, man, maybe he's got a good heart. Like this dude was just out to get money. Like it, it, it was just, and, and there's, and that's just so, so much what so many people see. Uh, and so many people bring that baggage even into, they come to faith and are following Jesus and they're still, uh, wrestling with, uh, that kind of reality. Um, or you're just maybe a new Christian and you haven't been discipled in this way. Uh, another reason people don't give is you need to be given to. Like we have a portion of our budget as a church uh, marked out for people that need money. Like maybe one of the reasons you do not give is because you are actually in need. You've lost a job. The job you have is going horrible. Your pay got cut back. Something catastrophic has happened. Both your cars blew up. You know, there's just things happen where you're, you're in need. And that's when we love to hear that, that we might be generous like God has been generous to us and give to those uh, that are in need. But some of you, you're not giving because you're in need and you need to just reach out. Um, one of the things we struggle to do within the church so often is we love to be the giver and, and we hate to be the receiver. Uh, we, we hate the humility that comes with saying, I'm in need. Uh, I was thinking about that even so many of you have been so kind to bring our family dinner and because uh, my brother recently passed away. And, um, and to be honest, when they got set up, I was like, man, this is kind of silly. We're fine. We don't need anything. Right? But then in, in it happening and realizing one, just how there's a couple just obviously, as you can imagine, <laughs> significantly draining weeks for me. And in those draining weeks for me, Ginger is drained because of the gap she's filling because of me. And then how much just the blessing of people bringing food has actually really been a help. Um, but to be honest with you, some of that struggle is just a struggle in receiving. Um, and, and sometimes with money, it can be even harder. Um, and so if so, you're in need, would you reach out? Reach out to your, who you're in community with. Reach out to the elders. Man, we, it's, it's a joy of ours to give to those that are in need as Jesus has met our needs. But that's one of the reasons people don't give your need. Another reason is just because your finances are some degree of really jacked up. They're just, you know, let's just be honest. Like your, your finances are just, you have no idea what's going on. And you, you may even think you're giving. And you may be like, oh, wait, we're not giving. I didn't realize that. Uh, and and that's, that's just, so, you know, we're all in different aspects of struggling to come out of the baggage of however we've been raised in regards to uh, finances. And so that's another area where we'd love to meet you in that need. We have uh, brothers and sisters here that, that that's what they do for a living. And they're willing to give that service to the church uh, for free to be with you in that, to help you, to give you some of that practical wisdom uh, that's helpful, but actually talk to you about what's going on and, and care for you and help as best they can, at least, try to, to walk with you as you get your finances uh, in order. But I would just encourage you to, to consider that. Um, consider getting, reach out to me, Randy, or Reed, and we'll connect you with a financial counselor that would love uh, to walk with you and help you. And then lastly, here's the last reason people don't give. It's because you don't believe giving to Northbrook Church is giving to God's mission. Somehow you, you just don't equate those two things. 
And, and to be honest with you, wanting to know how that is is not a bad question. Wanting to know how giving to Northbrook Church is giving to God's mission, that's a good question. I would caution cynicism there because like if you're just cynical about any church being a part of God's mission, then there's something about that that will never uh, be uh, satisfied. But in, then to be honest with you, if reality, if giving to Northbrook Church is not giving to God's mission, then we should just shut this thing down because uh, what, what are we really doing here? Uh, but that may be some of the questions you have. Like we're, we're not giving because we don't know. We don't know how uh, this money actually goes to further God's mission. So those are some reasons you might not be giving. I wanted to lay a challenge before us before I move on. So in 2020, we, we had a, an ambitious hope. Uh, I said this in one of the first Northbrook um, like core team gatherings of being self-sustaining in this first year of being a church. And to be honest with you, this is something most church clients don't even plan on, much less uh, attain, but I desired it for us. And to be honest, when me, so budgets, if, if you've uh, created a budget, even outside for your family or outside of your family, creating a budget for something that does not exist yet, that has no track record, is not the easiest thing to do in the world. Uh, but as we prayerfully considered, we thought, man, let's just try to do, um, you know, not shoot for the moon, but as much as we think we would need, let's budget for that and see what God does. So our budget for this year, 2020, not the one you're about to vote on, was $264,000 uh, for the entirety of the year. And honestly, because of COVID, uh, we actually haven't had to spend that much money, but that's how much we budgeted. Um, and to be honest, and with our current uh, church partners, um, let me make sure I get this right. We've, yeah, we've already uh, met that budget. But this is the challenge I want to lay before us right now. As of right now, Northbrook members and attenders, so internal giving, not churches, not people outside of Northbrook, have given $237,000 to Northbrook Church this year. So praise God for that. I mean, that's, that's you. Yeah, that's, that's you and your kindness and uh, your generosity towards uh, what God's doing in Northbrook. That's you saying, hey, I believe in what God's doing here at Northbrook. So for us to be self-sustaining, if you've already done the quick math, that's 264,000 minus 237,000 leaves a $27,000 gap. You can check my math if I'm wrong on that. I mean, I am bad at math, but I checked that so many times. Um, uh, that leaves $27,000 gap. And so I just wanna challenge us to, to cover that gap, that if you had thoughts about end of year giving, if you had thoughts about extra generosity, would you at least consider Northbrook as a part of that, that we could look back and say, man, God provided through the people of Northbrook to meet the budget of the Northbrook from the very beginning uh, of our time. That would just be a really a fun, encouraging thing to do. One of the ways this would break up, if just if like 50 people gave an extra 540 uh, bucks sometimes in the next these next three weeks, uh, then, then we would meet that gap. And so again, if you have any kind of uh, extra giving plan, just consider us uh, in that way. But again, this is what the Bible says is that we should give according to our ability. And so we can be stretched and we should give sacrificially, uh, but we should think about that as we even consider the very thing uh, I just laid before you. And the reality is, is because there are so many different churches that believe in what we're doing and continuing to give generously, generously to us, that we can steward any extra money for continued generosity and really just to be able to capitalize on any opportunity that comes our way. So obviously we're doing this right now, but your elders, are we have our ear to the ground about opportunities in this area that can lead to uh, furthering the gospel, furthering equip and funding uh, church planting, furthering God's mission here in North Fort Worth in any way that might 
even help or be paired with a facility that we could meet in uh, full time. We're, we're con continuing to explore things like that, consider that, and, uh, and any extra giving from these other churches or from uh, our church would we'll, we'll just help make us uh, able to capitalize on any of those opportunities. So plain and simple, if you do not give to a local church, I would encourage you to start. And I would encourage you just to start small and build from there, especially if you're in that, like our finances are so jacked up this is even when I was going through all that financial stuff, I was giving through all of that, but it was so sporadic and so inconsistent. And so, and it was, I was doing my best, but it would have been much better if I had just started small and just been consistent and kind of built from there. And so I would just encourage you to consider that. And I, you, obviously we talk about tithing, you hear about tithing. I think 10% is a good goal to consider, a good goal if you're not there to consider growing into uh, at some point. Um, but that is a good, healthy place to be in regards to uh, generosity. Does Northbrook need it? Does another local church need it? Maybe not, but more importantly, you need it. Um, generosity, like God owns everything. God will provide, God cares, God tends. God doesn't need anybody's money, but God knows where our hearts are at. And, and that kind of leads me to uh, my last point. Um, where you give your money reveals where your heart is. That's what our money does. It simply shows what we believe. Even though the temple and the city walls were insufficient to provide for the fullness of what God's people needed in the story of Ezra and Nehemiah, they were all still God, part of God's redemptive plan and worthy thing to give towards. Giving toward the mission of God with our money is a prevalent theme throughout even just this story and the whole of the Bible. God's people gave and they give because they believe in the vision of the temple and the city walls. So when we believe in the vision of something, we give towards that. And when we stop giving, it often shows that we don't believe in that vision. Uh, this isn't always true, but ask any pastor. One of the first signs that someone's going to leave the church is typically that they stop giving. Um, they've stopped believing in the vision. Look what Jesus has to say about this in Matthew 6, 19 through 21. He says, do not lay up for yourselves treasure on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasure in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. And there's this ever popular line that we hear so often, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. It's kind of this simple choice that he lays before us. Treasure the things of earth that are flimsy, that are here today and gone tomorrow. If you enjoy abundance your whole life, they are all left behind. Like even just a quick math lesson, we'll spend most of our life dead. Like extreme amount of mostly. Like most of our life we are going to spend dead. So it might be helpful to consider that life and what happens when we die. And in regards to this topic today, this passage isn't just saying make choices on earth that give you this abundant treasure in heaven, it is saying we should long for and apply ultimate value to the life to come. That we are, as Nehemiah was, exiles in this world, waiting and longing for the home that is truly ours. And that's where ultimate value should be placed. We should just simply give ourselves over to things that have eternal consequence. So how do we know if we're being good stewards or idol worshipers with our stuff? I think 1 Timothy 6, 
he says it, Paul says it really well. He says, as for the rich in this present age, and I just want to say real quick, we always think someone else is rich. Like, you know, millionaires think multimillionaires are rich. Multimillionaires think billionaires are rich. Like it just never, you're like, man, if I could just get to millionaire, I think it'd be good. But no, I mean, even below that, uh, we all think someone else is rich, but obviously we probably know the stats around the world that we would all be considered rich in regards to the population of the earth right now. As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasures for themselves as a good foundation for the future, so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. And so doing these kinds of things with our money shows that we value uh, the life to come. To not do these kinds of things shows pride in our riches and hope in our riches and a continual lack that needs to be filled with more money. Like, like so often, just the answer to our problems are more money. And very seldom do we think, man, if we just had more Jesus. But to do these things shows that we have hope in God and who he is, that he's going to provide that we can be full of good works, that we can give generously, that we can be ready to share, that we are full and content. And as Proverbs says, we can give without holding back because we're not always craving what's ours. What are we doing with our wealth? The actions that aren't present in our lives can be just as telling as the ones that are. Just some things to consider, maybe to consider some of these in this uh, season. Have you ever considered, I have some slides I wanted to show you real quick. So these three birds represent, um, I'm just joking. They, I, no, they, that's not me. Um, I told you I'm distractible, and so I'm going to press through here. But consider some of these things uh, during this season. Have you ever considered giving money to a family in need? Have you ever considered giving money to someone who may or may not use it as wisely as you would like? Have you ever considered blessing a stranger with a financial gift? Do you give money to help the poor? Do you give to the church to further God's mission in that way? This isn't a religious checklist, but we should consider things like, like this to show and live out of the fullness that God has provided for us. Jesus ends this section with just this revealing truth statement. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. This isn't like a progression. It's not if you put your treasure here, then your heart will follow. It's a revealing statement. It's look, where's your treasure? Where is it right now? That is where your heart is. Even if you think about generosity, what are you generous to? Are you generous to everything but the church? Um, your treasure reveals where your heart is. Um, you can't separate the two. I think about even in uh, an example in the Bible where Jesus tells someone to sell their possessions and follow him in Matthew 19, the rich young ruler to sell, hey, sell all your possessions, give to the poor, and then come and follow me. What was Jesus doing here? He was simply exposing an idol. This man's wealth was where his heart is. He wanted to follow God, but not at the expense of his treasure. So for all of us, might we might I implore us to, at least in some part, do as the rich young ruler did and go to Jesus and ask him to expose our idols. But I pray that we would respond in obedience, taking our idols to the cross where they lose their power and seeing that Jesus died to free us from the power of material.
materialism and always having to have and desire more. And man, will we just be a church that's willing to talk to someone about what the Holy Spirit's doing in our heart and mind in regards to this? Have you ever even talked to someone else about what you give? Have you ever been, have you ever talked to someone else about finances? This is like, it's like more um, faux pas to talk about finances than it is to talk about sex even in this day. And would, would you be willing, this, you know, giving in secret is all about the, the posture of our heart and nothing to do with being silent about our finances. We should be talking to other people about our finances. This, is, this should be an area that you invite people into. And to be honest with you, in my gender life, it's been one of the most helpful areas uh, that's helped our finances. When, even when we feel like things have been going well, but we've invited people to look at our budget and consider this with us and pray with us and read the scriptures with us about this. And, and it's just been really helpful and sharpening. Uh, to be honest with you, if you just were to think about showing someone else your, your budget, it already starts to get sharpening because you're like, oh, I wonder what they're going to say about this. Um, uh, but, but why don't we do that? Why, why don't we invite people into what's going on in our finances? Do you, and, and to be honest with you, you, may, you just may not have community close enough you trust. And maybe that's just a reality. Um, and so maybe it just needs to take time building that kind of community around you uh, where you do trust people and you can talk about these kinds of things. Um, not to, just to walk with each other and consider what the Lord uh, would have for us. Um, I would encourage you to consider uh, doing that. Uh, the truth is the areas of our life, um, the one we were thinking about the cons of the hotel, that was the one that we were thinking about. But it's fine. It's going well. Um, the areas of our life we keep most concealed tend to be the areas that are most unhealthy. Um, and so we could consider inviting someone into uh, this area of our life. Um, and, and in closing, the, the more we recognize who Jesus is in, the reali in reality, the smaller the idol of materialism gets. Um, this is why we don't just think about Jesus and his birth. We're not like Ricky Bobby who just prays to sweet little baby Jesus um, as a funny joke. Um, is it, who's watched Ricky Bobby? Have you? I just, I was like, how, is like half of people going to understand this? But um, he's just praised to the sweet little baby Jesus. And that's a joke. Uh, but if, it's, if, if we're honest, we can all fall into creating this Jesus that we want. Creating this Jesus that is comfortable uh, for us. But he is always so much more than that. Jesus was there in the beginning, creating the galaxies and speaking the stars into existence. We know that he holds all things together and we are saved from being we were saved from being objects of God's wrath to being the recipient of grace through Jesus. This is the Jesus uh, that we serve, that we know, that we pray to. That is so much bigger than materialism and money. Can money breathe life into your dead heart? Can your retirement account save your soul from the depths of hell? Can your house create the world and hold all things together? No, all these things are here today and they're gone tomorrow. But God has been so generous in providing so much more than money ever could, the salvation of our souls. And even as God talks about it, he talks about it in financial kind of terms that he's made a payment for the salvation of our souls. It's come at quite a hefty cost, quite a price, uh, more debt than any of us have ever been in. But thankfully, a price the triune God was willing to pay. During this season of Advent and for the rest of our lives, may our generosity flow out of how generous our God has been to us. Let me pray for us towards that end.
Lord Jesus, as I think even right now, I just thank you for the provision of this place that we can meet, that we can hear your word, that we can preach your word, that we can consider all that you've done for us in this way. God, I just ask that you would reveal, not in some way that, um, would you just reveal and expose materialism in our own lives? Would we not be afraid to go there with you? And would you help us enjoy the sweetness of your conviction, Holy Spirit, that leads us to repentance and enjoys your grace and mercy for the very sin in our lives? Would you use whatever we have um, that we might serve you and honor you? Help us to seek first your kingdom and your righteousness and willingly lay down earthly temporary kingdoms that we can often feel so much energy and striving towards. God, you just talk about money a lot. Talk about a lot in your word because you know our hearts run after it. And in Matthew 6, Jesus, you tell us that we can't worship you and money. You tell us that because you know we're tempted to do that very thing. So would we be willing to go there with you as often as we have need that we might come back to you again and again and again and say, you are worthy of all affection, of all honor, of all of our praise. And Spirit, would you just help us be a church that's just comfortable talking about money? That, yeah, that we can talk about the good of it, the bad of it. As much as you tell us we can't worship God in money, you created this world, and that includes the money that we use. You're not outside of that. You've always operated, even as you did in Ezra and Nehemiah, with the giving of money towards your mission to proclaim your gospel to the ends of the earth. So more than anything, Spirit, would you help us use every penny that comes into this church for the proclamation and furthering of your gospel, that your name might be praised, that your glory might be received here and far because you are worthy of all. I pray in Jesus' name, amen.